1: now, here's your host, Radical Russ
4: Melville. Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Thursday, September 8, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. So glad to have you here for our next two hours of news, views, and interviews for the cannabis community. we got two great interviews coming up today to tell you about, but first... Let me say to you, live long and prosper. Let's boldly go where no tokers have gone before, because today is the 50th anniversary of the premiere of the original Star Trek series, and uh, I am a Trekkie to my core, although, uh, Star Trek was canceled the year I was born. Uh, in the 70s, it enjoyed great uh, success in reruns. And as a kid, I grew up just loving to play Star Trek. And, and guess who used, I used to always want to play on the playground? Not Captain Kirk. No. No, I was a Mr. Spot guy. Yeah, figures, right? I look shit up. So, yeah, I was a Mr. Spot guy. So live long and prosper. Let's boldly go where no tokers have gone before. On our show today, some great interviews considering some of the breaking news that's going on. Uh, you may have seen this story floating around in your Facebook feed or you follow my Twitter feed at Radical Russ. Uh, it's going down in Arizona where a major big pharmaceutical company called Insys Therapeutics has donated $500,000 – to the fight against Proposition 205 in Arizona. Uh, Insys makes one thing, a fentanyl spray. Fentanyl, of course, being the uh, opioid painkiller that's a uh, 100 times more powerful powerful than heroin. Uh, yeah, so we're going to speak with J.P. Holyoke. He's a campaign manager down there for Arizona's Proposition 205. Find them at regulate regulatemarijuanainarizona.org. We'll talk to him about that donation and also how their governor... Just doesn't understand that marijuana is safer than alcohol. So we'll talk about that as well. Also on the show today, it's Thursday, and every other Thursday we speak with former law enforcement from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Uh, Leap is the group, and the guest today is former Colorado judge, uh member of Colorado Normal, and a good friend of the show, Lenny Freeling will be joining us. We'll talk to him about the Denver Social Use Initiative and how things have gone to hell in a handbasket in Colorado since they legal since they legal- marijuana, uh, supposedly, according to the Rocky Mountain High Intensity Drug Trafficking uh, Agency. We'll be talking about them in our Drug War Data Mining segment today. They, of course, have published their annual bit of scaremongering, and Jacob Sulem out at uh, Reason and Forbes magazine has done an excellent job debunking it. We'll get to that in the Drug War Data Mines. Also on the show, we get into our cannabis focus for a a more serious and tragic story. Uh, Cosmopolitan magazine, or Cosmo, uh, has come out with an expose on sexual assault amongst the... The uh, trimigrant population, the uh, Emerald Triangle uh, marijuana trimmers and such, so. We'll talk about that in our Cannabis Focus. But we start everything off with our Cannabis Radio News. And in the headlines today, two stories from Michigan, uh, one good, one bad. One bad for legalization, good for medical marijuana. We'll talk about that. In uh, Ohio, they've begun their medical marijuana program uh, for all the good it has done them. We'll tell you why. Uh, in Delaware, a new bill for kids and medical marijuana. And in Trenton, New Jersey... We're still waiting on uh, Governor Chris Christie to uh, react to PTSD and medical marijuana bill that has been passed. And Montel Williams today launched a new line of medical cannabis products. We'll tell you what it is when we come back. Also, stay tuned for hour two. We'll be talking about the college students and how they're using fewer drugs and more pot. We've got Parents Opposed to Pots, 10 Reasons Not to Date a Stoner, and in Italy, Law Enforcement is actually for legalization. It's all coming up next on The Russ Belleville
1: Show. This is The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com.
5: <sighs> Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around
0: cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. We love
4: it. I'm Radical
0: Russ Bellville,
4: inviting you to join me every weekday on CannabisRadio.com for the Russ Bellville Show. It's the NPR of POT. We bring you the latest marijuana headlines, cannabis analysis, drug war data, activist interviews, radical rants, and your live calls. Join me every weekday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, live only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: The Russ Bellville Show where the truth about marijuana
4: gets more than a minute to speak. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. It's
1: time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds.
4: This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, September 8, 2016. Lansing, Michigan. Michigan marijuana won't be on the statewide ballot in November. The state appeals court and the Michigan Supreme Court each turned down appeals Wednesday by a group trying to legalize the recreational use of marijuana. A group called the Michigan Comprehensive Cannabis Law Reform Committee submitted 354,000 signatures, apparently enough to get marijuana on the ballot. But the Board of State Canvassers said More than 200,000 were collected outside a 180-day period, a decision that left the group short of enough names. In August, a judge at the Court of Claims said the state had, quote, no clear legal duty, end quote, to count the stale signatures. Lansing, Michigan. The Michigan State Senate has advanced a trio of bills to regulate medical marijuana dispensaries and legalize edible preparations of cannabis. Recent court rulings have clarified the Michigan Medical Marijuana Act in such a way that dispensaries and edibles currently sit in a legal gray area. The Michigan House has already passed such legislation. With the Senate Judiciary Committee unable to muster the votes to forward the proposal, the Senate took the unusual step of discharging the bills from committee for full Senate consideration. Opponents on the committee believe the bills are simply the beginning of marijuana legalization in the Great Lakes State. Also included among the bills is a seed-to-sale tracking system and the appropriation of funds to cover its costs. Columbus, Ohio Ohio has yet to outline exactly its new medical marijuana law will work, even as it is set to take effect today, leaving a host of unanswered questions by doctors, patients, pharmacists, police, and many others. Rules for producing, prescribing, and distributing cannabis to eligible patients are expected to take up to a year to craft. The law allows people with certain listed conditions to begin using marijuana immediately, but it's unclear where they would legally get it. Some communities already are banning marijuana dispensaries as the law allows. The clash between Ohio's law and a federal prohibition prevents banks from handling marijuana related cash and complicates matters for some officials, including those who work in law enforcement and at airports. Dover, Delaware. Delaware Governor Jack Markell signed a bill yesterday that allows children on the state's medical marijuana program to use their medicine at school. The new law allows school nurses, with the presence of parents and guardians, to administer cannabis oil to students with medical marijuana recommendations anywhere on school property, including school buses. Until now, parents and guardians had been required to take their child off school property to administer their dosage. There are currently fewer than 10 children in Delaware with medical marijuana recommendations. Trenton, New Jersey. Governor Chris Christie has not acted on a bipartisan bill to allow patients with post-traumatic stress to use medical cannabis in New Jersey. An online petition urging his signature to pass the measure, passed by the Assembly and sent to Governor Christie on August 1st, has now gained over 18,000 supporters. Governor Christie's only response to the bill was a promise at an August news conference to, quote, read it, end quote. As of Wednesday, the governor's spokesman, Brian Murray, emailed Philly dot com saying, quote, we will not comment until we have finished our review. End quote. Governor Christie is an ardent opponent of marijuana reform, famously declaring that marijuana liberalization, whether medical or recreational, will not occur, quote, on my watch. End quote. He has vetoed every attempt to advance marijuana reform except for two bills, one that allows juvenile use of cannabis oils and another that allows use of those oils at school, but three years later has still not approved any dispensaries to manufacture the oils. Los Angeles, California. Former television host and wellness advocate Montel Williams is launching a line of medical cannabis products for patients under the brand name Latenev Labs by Lieutenant Scientific, LLC. Williams made the announcement today at the Cannabis World Congress and Business Exposition being held at the Los Angeles Convention Center. Williams, an award-winning media personality, decorated former naval officer, entrepreneur, and wellness advocate, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 1999 and has used cannabis products as a medication to manage the disease symptoms. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, September 8, 2016. I'm Russ Bellville.
3: We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeart Radio.
0: While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you, and they earn rewards points.
3: Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact NORML,
6: the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at NORML.org.
1: You're listening to Radical Russ on the Russ Belleville Show. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines
4: to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we're taking a look at one of the seedier undersides of the black market in marijuana. It's a story that's up on Cosmopolitan.com entitled Hidden Horrors on the Pot Farms of California an epidemic of sexual abuse and trafficking on the marijuana farms of the Emerald Triangle is rarely investigated. The author is Shoshana Walter, and the story was produced by Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting. It's a nonprofit news organization based in the San Francisco Bay Area, and you can find more about them at the revealnews.org slash podcast. And the story tells people about the Emerald Triangle, for those who don't know too much about it, Northern California, these three counties, uh, Humboldt, Trinity, and Mendocino, are the seat of the greatest marijuana cultivation uh, uh, on the planet, probably, at least in North America. These are illegal pot farms that have been tended for generations, and in our uh, community, we tend to mythologize this, we tend to lionize this as the outlaw farms, the family growers, uh, just fighting against prohibition, fighting against the man. And I've always come against this from the point of view of yeah, but you're making your living off human suffering, off the fact that somebody gets busted eventually and goes to prison. And that's what keeps those prices high that allows you to farm out in the woods somewhere and make, you know, X thousand dollars a pound uh, for cannabis. This story Investigates another part of this, and that is the the trimmigrants. They're called trimmers, uh, people that you know trim cannabis buds. That stuff has to be trimmed by hand. And from June to November, the harvest season in the Emerald Triangle, thousands of trimmigrants pour in to that area of California for you know off the off the paper work, you know under the table work, usually paid in cash uh, for trimming. Now, at the top levels, according to the story, quote, growing is a male-dominated field, and growers often prefer to hire female trimmers because they're supposedly more dexterous and thus more efficient workers. But over the past five years, young women have begun emerging from the woods with tales of being forced to give their bosses blowjobs to get paid or asked to trim topless for wage increases. The hidden nature of the industry has led to an epidemic of sexual abuse that's rarely reported or investigated. Now, according to the uh, report here, they unearthed dozens of accounts of sexual exploitation, sexual trafficking. And of course, most of this goes unreported. Even in even in, you know, the mainstream world, rape and sexual assault are severely underreported because of the Victimization that happens in the courtroom. I mean, the victim has to go through this all over again and be uh, humiliated and, and embarrassed and such. So it's already something that's difficult in the mainstream, say, corporate world with sexual assault and, and, and harassment. In this underground world, what are you going to do? Go to the cops when you're talk, talk, talking about what happened to you at your illegal job? that you don't pay taxes on that deals with a federal schedule one controlled substance and something that's illegal to sell under state law. No, (laughs) of course not. And, and even when it is reported, the rare times it is reported law enforcement doesn't go after the root problem. They think about just the drug trade. They're, they're looking to uproot plants. They're looking for big headlines. They're not looking to solve uh, the story of some, a uh, young woman that uh, was held without her will on a marijuana farm to trim topless in the woods. Marianne Hayes, Mariani is quoted in the story. She's a coordinator for the North coast rape crisis team. She says, quote, women believe they are getting hired for trimming work and then they're drugged and raped. Everyone looks at the region like it's the land of Oz. I'm just so tired of pretending like it's not happening here. End quote. Now, among The problems here also are missing persons. According to the story, in 2015, Humboldt County reported 352 missing people, more per capita than any other county in the state. Talks about a a young woman who was uh, uh, drugged and held against her will, sexually abused on a marijuana farm. Now, this isn't to say that the whole system is rotten. It's not to say all the growers out there are jerks and, and assaulters and rapists. Many of the marijuana farms are responsible operations. Most workers, in fact, are going to describe this as something good, excellent pay, food, shelter, and so forth. The problem is that when we have a industry that is underground, that is illegal, we are naturally going to increase the the possibility and, and the probability that these kind of actions are going to happen because the victims can't come forward, because the whole program is illegal. So, as we move forward here in November, of course, we've got the vote for uh, recreational marijuana legalization, Prop 64, latest uh, poll showing 71% support. And once we can get legalization in place, We'll have yet to see what that does to affect this kind of market. I mean, there won't be trimigrants anymore, will there?
1: Let's get out of here. I had some really good weed back at the hotel.
4: Well, it's 420 in the Mountain Time Zone. So happy 420, Albuquerque, New Mexico. You are our 420 city for the Mountain Time Zone today. Yes, let's legalize. Let's get this out of the shadows. Let's make this legitimate. We'll be back right after this with some drug war data mining.
5: Maui, Wowie. Acapulco, Gold, California, Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network.
1: You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Adrian,
3: I, I, I finished it. I got Adrian.
1: Okay, maybe you're high too.
4: Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com.
1: Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining.
4: Today in the Data Mines, we celebrate the release of the new report from the Rocky Mountain High Intensity Drug Trafficking Agency the r-h-m-i-t-d-a or whatever the hell it is r-m-h-i-t-d-a whatever (laughs) these rocky mountain goons they are an arm of the drug czar's office basically and what it is is every there's different regions around the country that are designated high intensity drug trafficking areas uh and that gives them special uh grants and such from the federal government they can form tasks task forces of, of different law enforcement agencies and anyway the point is that these guys are the ones that are looked to to produce the report for law enforcement and other uh, opponents of marijuana legalization as to how the sky has fallen in Colorado since the 2012 passage of Amendment 64. And Jacob Sulem has a piece up in Forbes.com entitled Dishonest Government Report Assumes Marijuana Legalization Has No Benefits and points out just how these guys twist numbers and distort statistics to try to paint a terrible picture of what's going on in Colorado. Jacob writes that on page 79 of the report, there's a column chart showing the increase in marijuana-related emergency department visits, right? The people go to the, the hospital because of marijuana, marijuana-related, right? So they make that, you know, they make a big chart. That's the, that's what they're trying. You, you see this big increase. You go, oh my God, look how, how terrible things have gone. But then you look at the footnote, and the footnote says, 2011 and 2012 emergency, data, uh, emergency department data reflect incomplete reporting statewide. Inferences concerning trends, including 2011 and 2012, should not be made. <laughs> oh, so the first point on your graph doesn't contain the full data set, and then there's a big increase from that. As it goes on down the graph. Well, that's that's a little uh, misleading, isn't it? They got a line graph on page 17 with a sharp increase in traffic deaths related to marijuana. Oh, my God. We legalized weed. And look, all these people are dying on the roads. But then there's the footnote. You go look at the footnote and it says, This report will cite data sets with terms such as marijuana related or tested positive for marijuana. That does not necessarily prove that marijuana was the cause of the accident. And that's the footnote, folks. It kind of destroys the whole graph, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, of course, the reason is because marijuana related just means they detected THC, which means nothing. Doesn't tell you whether you are high or impaired or it caused the accident or anything. Even the Federal National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says it is, quote, inadvisable, end quote, to try to predict how impaired someone is based on the content of their blood their urine, their saliva. They continue one with a terrible, a terrible, this is like uh, statistics 101, how to lie with statistics. They've got this bar graph on Colorado school dropouts. So you see the first bar for 2012, and then there's a slightly smaller bar for 2013. But then for 2014, bam, this bar goes twice as high. Oh my God, you look at this bar graph, you're like, Wow, we legalized pot, and there's twice as many dropouts. Until you look at the until you look at the y-axis, the bar graph starts at ten thousand two hundred and it goes up to eleven thousand two hundred. So they're trying to show a difference that went from ten thousand five hundred forty-six to eleven thousand one hundred fourteen, which is a difference of about five percent. But by doing the uh, the the graph. With an incomplete y-axis, it makes the bars look twice as large. So, uh, and, and never mind uh, that uh, that's not really too much of a significant increase. A 5% increase could be explained by a lot of factors. They continue to, uh, they continue to say that marijuana use has increased youth past month marijuana use increased 20% since Colorado legalized well that's the national survey on drug use and health there's another survey the healthy kids Colorado survey that had a larger sample than the national survey and it says that adolescent marijuana use is essentially flat since legalization and even the the increase from uh, national survey on drug use and health The researchers themselves said it wasn't statistically significant. Of course, the Rocky Mountain people don't make any mention of that. They continue uh, in the report to uh, warn about uh, the increases in marijuana use, saying that it would uh, cause, you know, legalization would cause more use by the youth. But what we're finding out is that those who Um, are 18 to 25, the college age kids are less likely to be reporting dependence and abuse of marijuana. The people using uh, cannabis that have a dependence issue since 2002. And this is what recently came out in the, uh, the Lancet psychiatry data or report is that the overall prevalence of marijuana use disorders fell from 14.8% to 11% among the cannabis, not among all adults, among just cannabis consumers. So we're seeing fewer people having problems with cannabis, even as more people are using it. The Rocky Mountain High Intensity Drug Trafficking Agency is pulling every trick in the book they can to make the slightest increases here or there look like mountains when they're really molehills. It gets funnier and funnier to read every year their report <laughs> as the news keeps turning out better and better for us. All right, we've got to take a break. When we come back, Lenny Freeling in Colorado with Cops Say legalized Drugs.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
5: How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com
4: Great websites today need Hill for a consultation today at OrangeHillDevelopment.com.
3: Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Normal. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help contact Normal, at M-O-R-M-L dot org or call toll free 888 67 normal.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show. Annoying Kevin Sabet since 2012. One of the most disturbing elements of the Prohibition War is how it's made police the enemy of otherwise law-abiding cannabis consumers. Fortunately, one group of police officers knows the futility of Prohibition reaches out to educate the community and current law enforcement. Today, the Russ Belleville Show visits with another speaker from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition with one clear message. Cops say legalize drugs.
4: Alright, welcome back everybody. It's uh, 32 after the hour. We're reaching out to uh, Lenny Freeling out in Colorado, dialing the number and
6: the party you are calling does not accept block calls.
4: Oh, no. So we can't get through. <laughs> well, that's a darn shame. We were going to speak with Lenny Freeling today on uh, our Law Enforcement Against Prohibition Cops Say Legalized Drug Segment. Uh, unfortunately it looks like we're not going to be able to dial through to him because of our, uh, blocked number, I guess we're dialing through Skype. So that could be part of the reason for it. Lenny is with, uh, Colorado normal and also, uh, been a long time normal member. He's a normal legal committee and works as a defense attorney. And previous to that, uh, was a judge. So has been a long time, uh, supporter of marijuana reform. I really wish we could get him on the line for you. Sorry that we cannot. So in the meantime, we will bring you up a replay interview from our Cops A Legalized Drugs" segment. And let's see. We'll speak with uh, former prosecutor Teresa Smallwood. That's who we'll listen to here in our segment. And uh, thanks uh, for your patience. And sorry we couldn't get Lenny Freeling on. We'll have him on another edition of the show.
1: One of the most disturbing elements of the prohibition war is how it's made police the enemy of otherwise law-abiding cannabis consumers. Fortunately, one group of police officers knows the futility of prohibition and reaches out to educate the community and current law enforcement. Today, the Russ Belleville Show visits with another speaker from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition with one clear message: say legalized drugs.
4: Welcome back, everyone. 32 After the Hour and joining us today for our Cops Say Legalized Drug segment, we have Teresa Smallwood. She's a former prosecutor from Chicago, Illinois. Teresa, welcome to the show.
6: Thank you, Russ. It's good
4: to be with you. It's good to have you here. And I see from your bio, uh, you had done your work in Chicago, Illinois. And my goodness, we know a lot about Chicago as far as the street violence goes, the, the gang warfare and the influence of drugs on both of those subjects. Give us a little of your background and how you came to recognize the drug war was a flawed failure.
6: Well, certainly. Actually, I did all of my uh, prosecutorial work in North Carolina, but it's a very similar venue in terms of how the drug war actually works. I've done most of my social justice and uh, my engagement as it relates to my own theological work here in Chicago, and that, of course, has presented me with a good bit of uh, statistical information. But as a prosecutor, what I came to understand after being in the business for over four years was the fact that I was creating a revolving door that was making absolutely no impact on people's lives or on the lives of the community. Uh, We kept seeing generation after generation go to prison, come back, and it was the same old cycle. It wasn't until I actually joined the ranks of the criminal defense defense attorneys that I came to realize that what we really were doing was sending people who were addicted to a place that could not help them. Mm. And so I became convinced of the fact that uh, we can do something different. We can do something more responsible both to our communities, to our precious law enforcement personnel, and to the people who use drugs. We can do a whole lot more humane approach that gives everyone the opportunity to be safe and to uh, operate within the confines of what I believe are, are real moral principles.
4: When we, uh, first heard of Michelle Alexander in her book, The New Jim Crow, it woke a lot of people up to the racial disparities and, and how they were, uh, it, it intended disparities in drug war policing. Can you give us an idea, you know, as a prosecutor in North Carolina, how you saw the drug war affecting families, particularly black families and and particularly black women, as they've been swept up in this drug war as girlfriends and and wives and getting conspiracy charges that had nothing to do with them actually using or touching drugs.
6: Yeah, I mentioned earlier the the notion of how generations uh, were really affected. And in one family, Russ, my experience was I sent the grandfather, the father, and then the young son all to prison oh. behind drugs. And what happened uh, was at the point in time the, uh, the young son was actually arrested, his girlfriend who was pregnant was on the car. And naturally in um, small town USA, we tend to uh, convict by association, unfortunately. So despite the fact that she had no drugs on her body and could not have been uh, really aware of what was on the car because she was, you know, just simply not in in tune with exactly how uh, sophisticated and complex his particular operation was. But she simply was a part of the scene. She was arrested, put in jail and actually convicted and, of course, gave birth to a child while still uh, in prison. So the idea here is that uh, the war on drugs has literally become a war on families. And what we see is that a fallout comes particularly in uh, uh, communities that are disparately treated. Now, I don't mean at all to cast aspersions upon our law enforcement generally. I have worked successfully uh, across the aisle with so many of them, and I have tremendous respect for law enforcement generally. But I can say truthfully that my experience in at least three different locales extensively shows that the system itself has uh, disproportionately affected African-Americans and to some degree the Latino population. And so what I began to see when I uh, moved my own uh, investigation into the District of Columbia, I, my, my real drug uh, war uh, ending work started there because at that point, the ACLU got involved in uh, helping uh, young pastors to really see what the difference was. And there were two specific zip codes that most of the drug uh, convictions were coming from. And where were they? They were in the city's uh, highest, most densely populated black communities. When we were able to bring uh, uh, the criminalization issue to the forefront, and the people voted and they were actually willing to legalize marijuana, it was because preachers stepped up and understood the complex nature of how the war was being dispatched upon that particular community.
4: I'm glad you mentioned that, Teresa. I also note from your bio that for over a decade now you've been ordained as a Baptist minister with a PhD in theology, ethics, and human sciences. And one thing that's always concerning to me for years working as a, a marijuana reform advocate is how much opposition we would find from the black Church, particularly you know Southern Baptist, for mm-hmm. example. Uh, and I always felt that that was uh, an example of of mistaking the harms of prohibition for the harms of the drugs themselves. Can you give us a little insight on how clergy are coming around on this issue?
6: Well, you know, I've had uh, the pleasure of working alongside a number of different op- uh, organizations going after the same issue. And there is at least one group uh, that is, has national uh, standing now uh, where we have a clergy group of people across the nation, and it's called Clergy for uh, a New Drug Policy. What we are doing is basically waking up the people who claim morality, to realize that true morality is a, is a test of our will towards our human kind. And that simply means that uh, preachers are coming to understand that they have to go below the surface to evaluate what's happening and why we need to do something differently. And so I'm very, very happy to uh, be in conversation with that particular organization. I don't run it, and I'm not here today representing them, but I do know that that particular uh, aspect of the work is afoot. And there's a gentleman by the name of Al Sharp who is running a very, very uh, sophisticated opportunity here to just wake people up, people who are in the faith.
4: Mm. Glad to hear that. Uh, We're speaking with Teresa Smallwood. She's a former prosecutor, defense attorney, and Baptist minister who is a speaker for law enforcement against prohibition. They got great speakers all around the United States, Canada, and around the world. If you need someone to come out to your Lions Club, your Elks Club, your Rotary meeting, your PTA meeting, whatever it might be, they've got someone for you. Just visit Leap.cc. Now, Teresa, another aspect of this has been uh, very interesting to me. The Black Lives Matter movement has done a phenomenal job of spotlighting the the uh, the race racial nature, the disproportionate nature of police enforcement against black people. And we found in the states that have legalized marijuana, even though we've legalized and part of the reason we did so is because of the disproportionate racial impact. But even though we've legalized, we're finding that what crimes still remain, are still being racially enforced, more disproportionately against Black and Latino people. So my question is, uh, is the is the drug war just a tool that enforces the existing racist system, or is it the cause of the existing racist system?
6: Well, you know, that is a very probative question, Russ, and I really appreciate it. Um, the deep analysis for me starts with uh, how policy is... Is put in place in this country Uh, if we were to go back in history and look at what caused us to turn our attention towards drugs and why we even call this a war on drugs we would realize that uh, essentially uh, ghettos and what we call the places uh, in our in our various communities where there is a high concentration of crime we would understand that people Human beings didn't request or create ghettos, but policy created ghettos. And so as a result of that, what we have is a fallout from uh, the root cause, which I believe has an economic uh, uh, component. Now, Michelle Alexander was able to, to uh, draw this point out very clearly. But what we also know is that in response, to anything we think is aberrant or outside the norm, what we have done uh, historically in this country, and it's really all over the world, is to criminalize the thing that we don't really want to put our finger on, or criminalize the thing that we have uh, considered to be uh, outside the norm of our morality.
4: Yeah, a morality tale, absolutely. I've brought that up many times before. And it's, it's fascinating to me too, uh, Teresa, that as we look at the, the, the criminal justice system and how it is, is being reformed, we're finding more prosecutors even who are, are coming over to our side, people that continually say, You know, I I can't tell you how many times I've heard the revolving door comment from our speakers at Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. And my thanks to 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 Teresa Smallwood uh, on that uh, interview, one of my favorites that I've done with the Law Enforcement Against Prohibition people and apologies to Lenny Freeling. That's on my side. Uh, We lost our Skype number. And so we've never had a problem dialing out to Lenny before because we didn't have a block number. Now we do. So I'll get that all solved. Thanks to the chat room for the uh, suggestion on Google Voice as well. When we come back, we've got J.P. Holyoke from Arizona's Prop 205 on uh, this terrible big pharma donation to fight legalization in Arizona. Assuming, of course, they'll accept our call.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
5: Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network.
2: Most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go.
5: Burning issues only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
5: The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment.
1: Okay, maybe you're high too.
4: Don't want to spend money on a night out but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com.
1: Visit begins with act. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to Prohibition in today's activist agenda.
4: Today in our activist agenda, we make our way down to the great southwest in Arizona, where Proposition 205 is on the ballot to legalize marijuana. But that doesn't mean that the opponents of marijuana legalization are resting on their laurels. Today, we reported on that $500,000 donation that was made for the opposition campaign in Arizona and who it came from. Joining us to talk about that is J.P. Holyoke from Arizona's Proposition 205. JP, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me, Russ. It's good to talk with you.
4: Yeah, thanks for holding on for us. And uh, this was quite amazing because, you know, we've been writing this script uh, in, in our uh, cannabis community for a long time about how big pharma is going to oppose marijuana because they want to corner the market. Well, this kind of makes, uh, makes our case for us. Tell folks today that may have joined us late what's going on down there with this Insys Therapeutics.
2: Sure. There's a company here in Phoenix called Instance Therapeutics and they manufacture an opioid called fentanyl. It's a sublingual spray. It has about 50 times the potency and addictive qualities of morphine. And they decided to make a $500,000 contribution to stop the legalization of cannabis here in Arizona. And this is really interesting for, you know, as you stated, for decades the cannabis community is that it's big pharma that's fighting against us. And in the past, you know, they have been fighting against us, but they've done so in far more sneaky ways, you know, partnership for drug free America, and then funding bogus studies that that don't hold up to scientific rigor. But this is the first time that we've actually seen they've come out and they've said, you know, we're just going to give money directly to the campaigns and, and, and not try to hide that effort that we don't want marijuana to be legal in this state. And that is a problem. But there's an even greater problem here. And I would encourage anybody and everybody to do a Google search on Insys Therapeutics. They are one of the worst actors within the pain opioid marketplace. They're currently under investigation in four states, including Arizona, and by the federal government for pushing their dangerous opioids upon people that don't actually need them in an effort to get them hooked. There's yeah. a great CNBC special that they did on this documentary on this company alone and their bad practices.
4: Yeah, it, it, it was. a. That's why then the name Insys Therapeutics kind of rang a bell when I heard this come in. I said, this is the same guys. Didn't they have a deal in Oregon? And then I looked it up. Yes, they had a settlement with the state of Oregon that one of our assistant attorney generals, he says, I've been investigating this stuff for 15 years. These are some of the worst practices I've ever seen.
2: Yes, these are people that are absolutely fueling our opioid epidemic in this country, which then also then leads right into our heroin epidemic as well. And these uh, are the guys.
4: And of course, uh, the irony was not lost on you that the campaign they're donating to is called Responsible Drug Policy.
2: (laughs) You know, it's uh, it's. If it weren't so pathetic, it would simply be sad. These are the worst guys out there. And and it's it's interesting to see our county attorneys um, and the anti-marijuana folks out there now jumping in bed with one of the worst actors from the opioid industry.
4: Yeah. And it, the reaction I've seen so far, uh, I, I had heard from the opposition campaign there, uh, basically neener, 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 at least they're local. It didn't come from MPP. Any uh, reaction yeah. to the, the money source being any issue here?
2: Well, obviously I have an issue and a reaction with the money source coming from an opioid manufacturer. I have a real problem with that, but whether it's in-state or out-of-state, I couldn't care less. These are opioid manufacturers that are fueling a heroin and opioid epidemic and crisis in this country, and they're also funding to keep marijuana illegal. And take that into the context of the the study that was published by the Journal of the American Medical Association, which found a 25% reduction of opioid-based overdose deaths in states that had adopted marijuana laws. These people are killing people. Hmm. Incis is killing people for profit. And now we've got county attorneys in bed with companies that kill people through addiction for profit.
4: Yeah, it is uh, terrible. Now, has there been any uh, uh, reasoning given by the Incis people? Are they making any statement about it or they just gave the money?
2: They gave the money, they, they prepared a public statement, they put that out to the media, and it's a bunch of, you know, hooey malarkey that, you know, we, we make uh, painkiller drugs through the FDA process, and they like to, to rely upon that FDA process as if that's justification for what they did.
4: Right. Right. All right. Uh, Another story that involved your campaign down there in Arizona that I wanted to get your take on and and maybe fill us in a bit on uh, your governor and uh, not seeming to understand the basic pharmacological properties of cannabis versus alcohol. Can you fill us in on that?
2: (laughs) Yeah, our governor, he's actually he's working with the No on Proposition 205 campaign. He's actively soliciting making phone calls to different businesses throughout the state, asking them for money to give to the campaign. But he's also been a big alcohol proponent throughout his entire career. You know, he started off actually working for Anheuser-Busch. So he's he's worked to expand the the beer and wine industry here in Arizona, which I don't have a problem with. Those are both things that that I personally enjoy. But I do have a problem when you're saying, no, marijuana should be illegal, while at the same time trying to promote something that is far more dangerous. It's hypocritical at best, it's gross stupidity at worst. And, and I think that he's fallen into the stupidity category on this one.
4: So uh, did you challenge him to something? Was there some sort of challenge involved here that he's uh, sh- shirking away from? We
2: did. Uh, you know, In one of his press conferences, he said uh, they need to do a fact check. And we said, oh, yeah, sure, we'll be glad to do that. And so then we put that back out. They say, hey, we fact checked it. Here you go. Do you have a response? And so far, it's been silenced. Mm. But there was an editorial that was put out in the Arizona Republic today by uh, one of their columnists named B.J. Montini. And it was rather entertaining, poking fun at the governor for not being real bright about the scientific facts on this
4: issue. Mm, that sounds good. Now, uh, in our live chat room here on CannabisRadio.com, uh, we got a question asking you, uh, how's the uh, campaign going? You, how's your money situation and how's the polling?
2: So there was a poll that was just released earlier this week that was put together by the Walter Cronkite school of journalism at ASU or Arizona state university. And the poll came back. Uh, yes, I have some questions regarding the, uh, their methodology on the poll. I mean, some of it just simply didn't make a lot of sense to us, but it put us up by about 10 points over the opposition. There's about 50% of Arizona's favor legalization, 39% in change were opposed to it. And then the rest of them were undecided. So if the vote were to be held tomorrow, we would win. There's no question about that. How those undecideds are going to break between now and November, the best case scenario for, for the opposition is that all of them go negative. That's not likely. I mean, most of the time when you see undecided voters, at the end of the, at the, end of the vote, they tend to split 50-50 or somewhere in that ballpark. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that were to happen, that's just fine with us. We win.
4: That's great. Now, of course, this is all a uh, discussion of the traditional opposition. Arizona's also got the weird situation of having a stoners against legalization opposition campaign. Uh, is that gaining any traction or do you ha- have any worries about that uh, opposition campaign?
2: No, I really I didn't pay any attention to them before. I don't pay any attention to them now. They tend to operate in their own little echo chamber, and, and I'm fine with letting them do, letting them do that. Um, to the best of my knowledge, they don't have any financial resources available to them to be able to make any type of a significant advertising push. But the idea, I mean, just the name of it, stoners against legalization, (laughs) you have to ask yourself why. Why are these people opposed to ending the draconian policies of prohibition? I understand that they might not like everything about the initiative. That's fine. I don't like everything about the initiative either. I don't think that there's ever been a law created that everybody liked everything about the initiative. But the question really becomes, do you prefer the, you know, our initiative, which allows adults to, to purchase, consume, and possess up to an ounce of flour and five, five grams of concentrate, as well as grow six plants at home, do you prefer that model over having a, getting a felony for the possession of a single joint? Hmm. Because you have to compare it to the status quo. Status quo right now, simple possession is a felony in this
4: state. Yep. Arizona, one of the worst states for uh, cannabis consumers as far as the uh, possible punishments. J.P. Olioke is with the Arizona Prop 205 campaign. Find them at regulatemarijuanainarizona.org. And uh, J.P., good luck on everything in the next 62 days.
2: Thank you, Russ. Appreciate you having me on the show today.
4: You betcha. All right. Stay tuned, folks. And when we come back here for Hour 2, we will get into more of the marijuana news. We're going to go international, tell you how the cops in Italy actually support legalization. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. Also, parents opposed to pot have posted their 10 reasons not to date a stoner. We'll go through that. And uh, we're looking at data on college students using more pot and fewer opioids. And uh, a quick look at uh, what uh, President Obama's oldest daughter has been up to. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com.
3: You grow it, you die it, you roll it, you smoke it. You
6: take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you die it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you die it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down.
1: It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. Where are you people? On Toker. Where you can toke. I inhale. Uh, freedom. Or you can talk.
3: I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or
1: you can toke and talk. 10
3: federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce
1: of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio.
3: So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard. Have a ball!
1: Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Freedom, freedom, hey, this is
0: great. Freedom, freedom. Just
1: Plus, your calls, live at 971-533-7111. They're walking
5: on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to Enema man and Snoopy, Snoopy poop dog.
2: What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory
0: doesn't work. It's a reality.
3: Holland, is it real?
4: All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. It's hour two. Coker Talk Radio coming to you live from the 26th floor of the Ardea Condominium Towers in the south waterfront of beautiful legal potland, Oregon, on the banks of the Willamette River, under the watchful gaze of beautiful Mount Hood. <laughs> I'm a little uh, cheery because we got blue sky again today. It's been rainy the last couple of days here in Portland, as it tends to be. But the weed is good, and the coffee is good, and uh, the ciders are excellent. Uh, For where I'm staying here, there's a place called The Growler Guys right across the way, and it's got 40 taps of local beers and ciders, and occasionally something weird. Uh, and I used to go over there and get a Growler full of cider. Got me some pear cider last night. Absolutely delicious. And I bring this up because of how legalization is taking root all across the country and how people worry about this sometimes uh, that, oh my God, there's going to be a Walmart of weed. It's going to be corporatized. It's going to be corporate weed. And I'm like, fine, great. I mean, we've got corporate beer, don't we? We got InBev, you know, Miller, Coors, Anheuser-Busch, whatever the hell. They can make billions and billions and billions of cans of Budweiser. I ain't drinking it. I'm going across the street to the growler guys and getting me a fine, handcrafted, local cider. So why would it be any different in the marijuana world, right? Well, how's it Oh my God, they're gonna mass produce swaggy joints. Well, don't smoke them then. (laughs) Go get some better weed, right? I I just never understood that fear. Uh, Now, looking at uh, the gossip rags today, we've got some uh, marijuana news involving the president's oldest daughter, Malia Obama. Now, you remember that back in July at Lollapalooza, there was some video of her smoking what appeared to be pot, appeared to be a joint. And uh, that, oh, no. Well, now there's a new photo that's appeared. Radar online has this of Malia Obama at a university of Pennsylvania frat house. She's wearing a t-shirt that says smoking kills and in the foreground of the picture is a big old three foot bong. So there she is hanging out at a Pennsylvania frat house (laughs) with a bong right there on the coffee table Uh, You know, does she toke? Is she toking? Was that marijuana? Come on, folks. Of course it was. (laughs) She's an 18 year old woman. She's a college student. She's experiencing life. Her dad is one of the most famous pot smokers on the planet. Of course, she's going to have some curiosity. Of course, she's going to have the intelligence to know that it's a safer choice than alcohol. I think my favorite thing about this going on is how it's a non-scandal. It's just like, so what? Like, this is the worst thing we've gotten off the Obama family for a scandal, right? <laughs> you got George W. Bush. You got uh, Dick Cheney shooting his friend in the face, right? We got uh, uh, Bush's daughters uh, having these drug prescription overdose and you know addiction problems. You know, Bill Clinton, of course, the sex scandal and all that, you know. Worst we can get off Obama is his 18-year-old daughter smoked a joint at Lollapalooza. Ooh. What a what a non-issue, huh? I I'm proud of the girl. She looks like she's making a smart choice. I'm not seeing pictures of her doing beer bongs or keg stands. That's that's what I'd really be worried about as a parent. Alright, we got a bunch of stuff coming up in the next three segments. College students using more pot and fewer opioids. Parents opposed to pots, 10 reasons not to date a stoner, and some international news from Italy when we return.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
5: Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network.
3: Play is Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in
2: town. Only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play.
6: It's a lot
4: of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers. From a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door.
6: Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and
0: completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download.
3: Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing.
5: Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the
3: smoke and change the tone. Of Talk Radio. And, uh, hope everybody's got their vape pen handy, or their pipe, or their bong, or whatever you use to do your medicine. But Most you don't. Important. It's not a requirement. You don't have to be high for this show. Yeah, you do. <laughs> okay. I don't know who you're talking to. You have to be high to do anything. At least I do. <laughs> I don't know about you. In fact, I've been high so long that being straight is another high.
5: The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. World, world, world.
1: You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year. Hello, Mr. Man. Hi. I'm doing... I'm, I'm working. I'm sorry. No food till this is done. This is the Russ
4: Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. Nine after the hour. Glad to have you here on this beautiful day. Beautiful Thursday. We are just 61 days away from Marijuana Election Night 2016. And it is going to be an epic broadcast. Let me tell you, folks, it'll be starting with the Russ Belville show, the regular show you're used to, but, uh, of course, with a election night theme. On that uh, first hour on election night, we're going to uh, compare all the legalization initiatives, give you the details on the medical marijuana initiatives, show you the impact on marijuana legalization thus far on the country. And then, in the second half hour, we'll have... Two roundtables of the leaders from the drug policy organizations, uh, some of who've already committed to be on the show, Diane Goldstein from Leap, Amanda Ryman from Drug Policy Alliance, Ethan Nadelman, the founder and head of Drug Policy Alliance, Tom Angel from Marijuana Majority, and I, I, I believe we'll also have Keith Strop from Normal, Mason Tvert from MPP, and Neil Franklin from Leap on that show. Then in the hour two, the, clo- the polls will be closing in Florida. We'll speak with the campaign managers in Florida and our live correspondents. We'll have interviews uh, to go to as well. In our first hour, uh, Cliff Duvall, our friend in Texas, is running for the Texas State House, and uh, we'll talk to him about his campaign. Uh, we'll also have uh, looking to have John Hudak from Brookings Institute to give us a rundown on the effect of these legalization votes on federal marijuana prohibition. We'll, we will be talking with, uh, in the third hour, the polls will close in Massachusetts, Maine, and Arkansas. We'll have all the uh, campaign managers and live coverage from the election headquarters. We've also got uh, Karen O'Keefe from the Marijuana Policy Project. She'll be breaking down some of the gubernatorial races that could make a difference in marijuana policy, plus the effect of legalization on state legislatures. In our fourth hour of coverage, the polls will close in Arizona and Colorado. Of course, Colorado, Denver's got the social use initiative. There's a bunch of local uh, uh, votes to cover in Colorado as well. We will bring the campaign managers on for that, plus our live coverage from the campaign headquarters. Uh, we'll also be speaking in that hour with uh, Carrie Boiter, a former Washington medical marijuana activist who's moved back to her home in Montana and is running for the Montana State House. We'll talk to her about her campaign. And then in our fifth hour, <laughs> the polls will close in North Dakota, Montana, and Nevada. We will speak to the campaign managers from those three campaigns, plus our live correspondence at the campaign watch parties. And uh, in that hour, we'll also interview Diane Goldstein from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition to find out uh, what's happening in California as they await their votes, and Stephanie Viskovic. In Washington State, she's running for the Washington State Legislature, a longtime marijuana activist. Then, of course, the sixth hour, the hour we will all be waiting for when the polls close on the West Coast, California, Oregon, and Washington. California, of course, voting on Prop 64 marijuana legalization that could change the world. Oregon's got about 54 different city and county votes going on for local opt-outs, and then we'll update the Washington figures for Stephanie Viskovich and any other local votes we can find, campaign managers, of course. And we will be bringing you the the live coverage because we will be uh, headquartered at the Oakland Watch Party for Prop 64 with the Drug Policy Alliance people. So uh, we'll bring you a lot of live coverage from that and other interviews. And, uh, we'll wind up the night with as many folks we can talk to as possible to celebrate as many wins as possible. It all takes place on Tuesday, November 8th, starting at 3 PM Pacific, 6 PM Eastern, running till 9 PM Pacific, midnight Eastern, or later if things get interesting. It's all on com Hashtag MJ election night. And, uh, we will, uh, Uh, We are getting prepared for it. It's only 61 days away, and I'm just so excited. Oh, it's going to be fun. All right, let's uh, get back to the show and some of our topics for today. Recently, that national survey on drug use and health numbers uh, came out. and Of course, the media are chopping these numbers up and producing as many stories as they can on it. The story out of the UPI uh, Health Day News, college students using more pot, fewer opioids. And it points out the uh, the survey shows that past year use, so annual use, did you smoke pot this year, for college students, and this is the 18 to 25 group I think that they're referring to, uh, rose from 30% in 2006 to 38% in 2015. So the most recent data, 38% of college students have smoked pot that year. And uh, the daily or near daily use, which is what they define as 20 or more times in the past 30 days, uh, that reached nearly 6% in 2014, which was the highest level of daily use in the past 34 years. But then it fell to slightly less than 5% in 2015. And the uh, they, of course, bring out the perception of risk numbers that there's a decreased risk the decrease in the perceived risk of harm about marijuana and and the research professor at the institute the co-lead researcher says this should be taken seriously by college administrators parents and students themselves and it's uh, it's frustrating to me because this idea that our that we're finding or we believe marijuana used to be less risky is it seems to me to correlate with the fact that we're finally getting the truth about it. It's like these people start off with this presumption that we should be afraid of marijuana because we should not use it. If we become less afraid of it, more of us might use it. And then what? Right? So that's my problem with this is of course we're finding it to be less risky you start to find out that these study after study after study after study that come out and they say there's no long-term cognitive problems, there's no serious risk of uh, cancer or lung disease or any of these other problems that have been thrown at us for eight decades now about marijuana use. So, of course, we're finding it less risky than we used to find it before. The risk we should find... Attendant to marijuana use should reflect the dangers it actually causes. We should we should be as afraid of it as it is scary. And it's not scary. (laughs) It's non-toxic. It doesn't lead to wild mood swings and lack of impulse control and aggression and all these things that we find from other drugs that are problematic. We don't find that from marijuana. We shouldn't find it risky at all. Well, unless you live in a prohibition state, and then, yeah, it's risky as hell. (laughs) That's the risk that we should be feeling from it. But as they looked through the numbers, they found some other numbers that are are quite telling as well. The non-medical use of prescription opioids, painkillers, fell from 9% in 2006 to 3% in 2015. Just 3% of college-age kids are abusing pills now, painkiller pills. You know, Oxycontin, Vicodin, Percocet, Fentanyl, like that company that donated in Arizona. So we're, we, fewer of them using these deadly dangerous drugs. And again, it, it's, it's interesting to me, right, how as soon as the you know the marijuana figures start to go up, they look at that perception of risk and go, oh my God, they don't think it's scary. But when the prescription painkillers go down from 9% to 3%, you know, they're a third of what they used to be in just, what, nine years? They don't make that similar correlation. They don't make that similar point that, hey, what happened to the perception of risk on using heroin and Oxycontin and Percocet and all that? Did that go up? Did that go down? I think it would probably go up. I think people would be getting the uh, message these days that, hey, this stuff's. Highly addictive and can kill you. The uh, principal investigator, though, did bring this up. He said, quote, it appears that college students at least are hearing and heeding the warnings about the very considerable dangers of using narcotic drugs. End quote. Yeah, they're they're hearing the truth about the narcotics. So why can't you believe they're hearing the truth about the cannabis? With the cannabis, it's oh, my God, we got to redouble our efforts to make sure they know how bad it is. <laughs> can't have it both ways. Um with uh, amphetamine use, illicit amphetamine use, uh, not they call it non-medical use of prescription stimulant drugs. We call it studying for finals, right? <laughs> Cramming for the exam. Uh, you know, But they take the, the, the Adderall and the Ritalin and that kind of stuff, right? Well, that doubled between 2008 and 2012, 11%. But in 2015, it's down to less than 10%. So it's gone down slightly on that as well Uh, other things that we found um ecstasy use fell to about four percent by 2015 use of synthetic cannabinoid products k2 spice fell from 8.5 percent in 2011 to less than two percent in 2015 because again people aren't stupid i mean yeah you may be young and dumb and full of you know wild ideas, but, uh, doesn't necessarily mean you want to die and people, they start to get the message on this K2 stuff. They start to hear about these, these overdoses and these problems people have with it. Of course, they're less likely to want to use it. So if it's good news that fewer college kids are using all these other drugs, it should also be good news that they're using marijuana more. Excellent. Isn't life grand? Excellent! And notice they never make that correlation. Could it be that because the marijuana use is going up, it is facilitating the other drug use to go down? They never make that one, do they? All right, happy 420 here in the Pacific time zone, and that includes Bend, Oregon. It's on you, Puff Puff Bass. We'll be right back after this.
5: We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network.
6: be no crime hemp ink is even hot proved by the man who run high times oh yeah get it on android and i and ios today marijuana llama out got to tend to me on crap you know money don't make itself hemp ink
1: normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use if cannabis use is causing problems in your life consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
5: Mo! <laughs> <laughs>
4: Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The Fingerboard Extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today. Or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods.
1: A package here for Radical Rick. Is there a radical Rick here? How about a Rick Russ? Any any Rick Russ? Somebody named Freddie Rock has sent him a package. Anybody? What is that? That Sounds like a stuff. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on cannabisradio.com.
4: Welcome back everybody. Hope you had yourself a great safety briefing. Well, we did here, it's in our contract. <laughs> 423 here in the Pacific Time Zone, looking out at Mount Hood across the Willamette River here in Portland, and we've come across the site of Parents Opposed to Pot. Now, it's funny to me, on a meta level, because they call their group Parents Opposed to Pot, Right. And so, parents opposed to pot, the acronym would be POP, right? POP, parents opposed to pot. But they call themselves Pop Pot. The, their website is poppot.org. And, and the post I'm reading here is 10 reasons not to date a stoner. And it says, please share this post with every concerned parent you know. Spread the word about Pop Pot. Pop Pot. Pop pot. <laughs> it's hard to say sometimes. Pop pot. Folks, isn't that redundant? Doesn't that mean parents opposed to pot pot? Or am I just high? Maybe it's just maybe I'm just a stoner, right? Well, here's their piece. It's entitled Ten Reasons Not to Date a Stoner. Ten reasons not and since I'm single now, I guess I need to know why why the women should not date me. Ten reasons not to date a stoner. Here we go. Advice for teens and college students. It may seem an old-fashioned thought, but the one you date should be a suitable mate. (laughs) I don't think that's an old-fashioned thought, is it? You should date people that are suitable? Go on. Go on. Consider the type of person you want to marry before getting involved with a stoner. Wait a minute. I'm just interested in dating, right? I mean... Does everyone I date have to be somebody I might marry? (laughs) Who said I was ever going to get married again, huh? All right, let's continue. Doing this will save you from short-term frustrations and long-term unhappiness. Ten reasons not to date a stoner. Number one, financially unstable. The stoner lifestyle may not seem to interfere with your relationship until it begins to put a strain on your finances. When you are dating someone who begins to spend excessive time and money on marijuana, you may be left responsible for picking up the slack. (laughs) Yeah, because we're we're so hooked on weed. So hooked on weed, we can't afford to pay the rent. Can't afford to get the groceries. All the money goes into the weed. Now, look, there may be some people that are like that. I'm not going to deny that. There may be some people that are spending too much money every week at the dispensary. But they the kind of people that you wouldn't want to date because they spend too much money on X, Y, or Z. It's not the marijuana that's, that's, that's the problem here. It's dating someone who's irresponsible. Being a cannabis consumer does not necessarily mean you're irresponsible. All right, let's go on. Number two, addiction takes priority. Despite the claims of many who say marijuana is not addictive... Marijuana dependency exists. According to a study done by the government in 2012, over 1.5 million Americans under the age of 26 were found to be addicted to marijuana. There is no way of knowing whether your friend will become a full-blown addict. But if it does become an addiction, it will dictate and often interfere with daily life due to the dependency (laughs) okay don't don't date a stoner because um they might be addicted to it um okay (laughs) instead go to the frat party with the guys that are drinking they turn out just fine (laughs) let's go on number three competing with a drug A relationship is more likely to collapse when an individual expresses a greater interest toward a substance than toward their partner. But isn't that number two? (laughs) Didn't you just restate number two? Addiction takes priority was number two. Competing with a drug was number three. That's the same thing. All right, let's go on. Number four, guilt you may experience feelings of decreased self-esteem and self-worth when you feel obligated to accept his or her addiction lifestyle despite your own disapproval. If you disapprove, don't date him. Look, the reason not to date a stoner is maybe that you don't smoke pot and you don't enjoy the, the, the same things together. It might be my reason for not dating a Christian girl. Right? We just don't share much in common. We don't share the same activities. <laughs> just, but I'm not going to feel guilty about it. Come on. Uh, let's go on. Number five. Num- oh, switch voice, Russ. Number five fertility and parenthood. Smoking marijuana has been linked with decreased sperm counts and chances for fertility, which could complicate a couple's attempt to have a child. Furthermore, even if fertility is not compromised, do you really want to expose your children to a mind-altering drug? (laughs) Okay, so in the first sentence, state the problem. In the second sentence, say that it might not be a problem. Thanks for that. Uh, Look, these links with decreased sperm counts and chances for fertility. I always like to point out that Bob Marley had 12 kids. Tommy Chong has Seven kids, Willie Nelson has nine, or Tommy has nine, and Willie has seven, I always forget which is which. If marijuana seriously decreased sperm counts and chances for fertility, there'd be no more Rastafarians. The island of Jamaica would have depopulated by now. I mean, come on. Cannabis has been around for 7,000 years. People have been using it for 7,000 years. The fact that there are still people using it kind of proves that it's not having this terrible problem with fertility. But let's pretend that it did. Would that be the worst thing in the world? Fewer people on this planet? Less population? I don't see that as necessarily a problem. But then this point, do you want to expose your children to a mind-altering drug? Um, Are you having wine at dinner? If you're having wine at dinner, then STFU because uh, you got no leg to stand on here exposing your children to a mind-altering drug. All right, let's continue. These are the parents opposed to pot, 10 reasons not to date a stoner. Number six, lack of energy. Relationships take work, and being friends with a stoner may not last when your partner's motivation is decreased by his or her pot habit. Your boyfriend or girlfriend will make less effort and less desire to make you the priority. Well, again, number six is referring back to three and two on the priority in the addiction thing. But this thing about uh, the partner's motivation, we just had that study come out from University College London showing that long-term, heavy, chronic cannabis users are no less motivated than sober people. We can throw this survey thing away. We should have thrown it away after the Michael Phelps bong photo. Guys, the most decorated Olympian in history breaks a fourteen hundred year or a, a yeah, it a, no, it's a twenty one hundred year old record in the Olympics that he broke of winning thirteen individual gold medals. Guys, a pot smoker didn't seem to affect his motivation any. Hell, I'm on show seventeen hundred and thirty something. It's not affecting my motivation any. All right, here we go. Number 7. Activists like to cause a racket. If he or she is an activist, good luck. A majority of marijuana users are also, quote, politically active and energized, end quote, according to Ed Gogek, and their, quote, allegiance to the drug, end quote, consumes their social calendar and Facebook news feed. Even activists will admit to the excessive amount of time and energy they spend at social gatherings and meetings, where they aspire to make noise and fight the battle for legalization. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You wouldn't want to date somebody that's politically active, would you? (laughs) I like that that's a a negative. Oh, don't, don't, you don't want to, you don't want to date people that would rock the boat, rock the boat, teenagers and college kids. You're all looking to settle down and be mature and responsible. You wouldn't want to cause a racket. (laughs) Yeah, okay. And again, this is that allegiance to the drug thing. Number seven is pointing back to number six, to number three, to number two. Four things now so far in their top ten. We're only at number seven. Four out of the seven are don't date somebody because they'll like marijuana too much and and won't like you enough. (laughs) Okay, let's go on. Number eight, say goodbye to the simple pleasures. If you are dating a frequent marijuana user, it is likely that they will rarely be satisfied with the simple pleasures in life unless they are high. This may lead to a major disconnect between the two of you. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, this is the, uh, oh, they won't like to go to the movies, won't like the everywhere they go, they'll always have to be high. Um, Okay. This may be for some people, some people like that. I myself uh, uh, am that way sometimes, although recently went out to a couple of different events without any cannabis. Um, And the more legal it gets, the more access you have to it, the less that is a problem for you. Because A, if you always want to be high, you can be. Or B, if you don't want to be, you don't have to worry about it because you can always get it later. Again, if you don't share stuff in common, if you don't like getting high and going to a concert, yeah, don't date the person. But these aren't like, don't date people because of the marijuana. It's just don't date them because you don't have something in common. All right, let's finish this up. Number nine. Oh, sorry. Number nine, fear of the unknown. Perhaps the scariest part of dating a marijuana user is the fear of what may come next. Just because you begin dating someone whose habit, by the way, they misspelled whose, um, whose habit seems harmless. There is no way of knowing what it could evolve into. Whether it be addiction, mental illness, depression, or in some cases, the exploitation of other harmful drugs. Check out this story of a teen whose marijuana habit led him down a path toward heroin abuse. (laughs) Yeah. Don't date the guy smoking pot because, you know, gateway theory, they're eventually going to become heroin addicts. You don't know what could come next. They could freak out, go psycho. You never know. (laughs) Okay. And finally... Number 10. Dealing with mood swings. There are highs and lows involved in any relationship. However, it is important to realize that with a stoner, the literal highs will be high, but the lows may be extremely low. As with any other drug, there are withdrawal symptoms that accompany marijuana, such as irritability, anger, aggression, and sometimes depressed mood. Okay, so there you go. The pop pot postpot.org. pop p-o-p-p-o-t dot org 10 reasons not to date a stoner I'll give you one I'll, I'll give you one solid reason not to date a stoner you don't like them or her there's your reason whether or not someone drinks or smokes or takes drugs if you're into that then maybe you're into dating them if you're not then don't but don't blame it just on the substance itself. Hell, I hate cigarette smoking, but I've dated cigarette smokers because I liked them. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, international news, Italian cops for legalization.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
5: earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. The cannabis industry is growing, business is booming, and as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show.
3: Hello? Hey, uh, are you the one that put the ad on Craigslist? Uh, it was in the, the personal no. section uh, about, you know, want to have a little uh, have a little good time tonight? No. Nothing about, you know, any uh, backdoor action? No. A little fifth base? You're not into that?
2: No, and I, I suggest you don't
5: fucking call my phone number, or you fucking
3: perverted bastard. Are you, sure, are, you, are you sure you're not the one on the Craigslist? You're talking dirty to me. Damn, she hung out. That was good. It was funny, though.
5: The Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. This is Dan
1: Michaels from DanMichaelsAudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com.
4: New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com.
1: Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? This is the Rush Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
4: Welcome back, everyone. Almost forty after the hour here, and uh, that means we're just about what twenty minutes away from the kickoff of the NFL season. Thursday night football kicking off. Carolina and Denver at Denver matchup of the uh, last Super Bowl. And Denver is an underdog in this game. Weird for a Super Bowl champion at home to be an underdog. But then again, they lost Peyton Manning. He's retired. Speaking of Peyton Manning, I don't know if you got to see it over the weekend. I just watched it on my DVR last night. The uh, Comedy Central Roast of uh, Rob Lowe. Oh, oh, if you haven't seen it, you got to see it. It is sublime. There are, first of all, Two people that slayed at the roast that you wouldn't have expected. Peyton Manning <laughs> slayed. He was great. And uh, uh Jewel, you know, the singer Jewel. She was great at the roast. And then the best, oh, the most beautiful thing to watch. For reasons unknown, Ann Coulter was on the dais. Uh, Anne Coulter was there for a roast, right? Now, that presents a weird situation, right? Cuz you know the idea of a comedy roast is that you say shitty mean things about people that you don't mean. They're good-natured ribbing and digs, uh but it's kind of a it's kind of a, a, a an act of love. And a lot of people don't like roast humor and I understand why they don't, but I love the hell I've been watching roast humor since I was a kid, man. I watched those old Dean Martin roasts with my dad. I loved it. You know, don't understand most of the jokes. I still loved it. So It was weird because at a roast, you're supposed to be saying these mean, shitty things that you don't really mean. Meanwhile, Ann Coulter, that's her gig is to say mean, shitty things that she does mean. And you could tell nobody on the stage really liked her much. (laughs) And so she gets up, do her thing. And her thing, she just shamelessly, literally shamelessly plugs her book, sits her book right there on the podium and launches into her act, if you could call it that, that was just. Horrible. And I don't mean horrible like because I'm a lefty liberal type and she's a righty and, and I didn't like her politics. I mean horrible from a stand up comedy point of view, right? Like Dennis Miller's kind of a righty now. But he at least has comedy chops, right? He can still write a funny joke. There was not a laugh in her whole act. It was wonderful. Just watching her bomb, oh, it was just gorgeous. So if you get a chance to uh, pick that up on your TV somehow or online, I, I I highly encourage you to watch it. Of course, I do most things highly. I wanted to take a look at some international stories that uh, popped up on my radar and, and this first one, most important one I'd say, is up on Leafly today. and it's uh, Italian law enforcement joined push for cannabis legalization. Now, I've brought you some stories about how Italy and their parliament they're working on uh, marijuana legalization, and they're moving forward pretty fast compared you know to the rest of Europe here. But the th- you know to have the law enforcement groups behind it is is wonderful. And uh, it's not just the law enforcement groups, the National Anti-Mafia Agency, right? Because that's where the mafia is from, right? Italy. They have a national agency for this uh, on organized crime. They're for the legalization. The police union is for the legalization. And later this month, the parliament there in Italy is going to be talking about this uh, legalization proposal. The bill... Uh, would give you five cannabis plants, 15 grams of dried flower at home, and five grams you could carry around with you. Now, I know, when I when I mention that, people go, 15 grams off of five plants? You're supposed to go three grams per plant? Really? Really? So, uh, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> come on, man. This is such a weird thing, but... Whenever they do that, whenever this part comes up, because it comes up in our legalization debates here in America too, where they, they, uh, they make an absurdly low home possession limit based on the number of plants you have. Now, our legalization laws in the states, the initiatives, most of them now, are saying that you can keep the results of your harvest. That's what they got in Colorado, in Alaska, uh, Oregon, we're limited to eight ounces. Off of our harvest of four plants. So we're only supposed to grow two ounces per plant. And the rest, psh, I don't know. So I, I, I would love to see more of these laws have the sensible option that you can keep the harvest of your plants. Or at least set a limit so great that you're not likely to bust it. A pound a plant, okay? Now, I know people that can get three pounds off a plant, but that's with extremely good growing techniques and, and master you know, abilities, uh, uh, your average grower, not going to get a pound off a plant. So you'll set it somewhere that makes sense. Nevertheless, the bills, five plants, 15 grams at home, five grams on the street. Cannabis would be sold in state licensed stores. So you go to a pot shop in Italy and then there'd also be non-commercial cannabis social clubs that would allow up to 50 members and they could swap and share the cannabis that they grow, somewhat like what they've got in uh, Italy, uh, um, um, Spain, excuse me, with their uh, with their cannabis clubs, with their cannabis uh, uh, cooperatives, I should say. Now, uh, this bill uh, is being proposed and uh, trying to, f- uh, yeah. The I am sorry, I had to find the the, the quote there. Uh, Felice Romano from the Police Workers Union. The largest police workers union said, quote, these are substances that today are used for therapeutic purposes and cannabis is cultivated by the Italian army. If cannabis were sold through a legal framework, it would be less dangerous and would not contain chemical pollutants and additives that do more damage than the active ingredients. End quote. So so a cop looking at this as a as a harm reduction measure. Wow. What's that like? Uh, what else they got? The anti-mafia agency took the firm stance against prohibition. Italy's top prosecutor, uh, Franco Roberti, said decriminalizing cannabis would strike a blow to the Islamic State militants and Italian mobsters alike as the two entities have teamed up to smuggle hash into Italy. Wow. Law enforcement people who understand that an illicit drug trade funds organized crime and terrorism i'm just trying to wrap my mind around this uh, cops that understand this i mean i've talked to leap cops for years but these are active duty guys these are guys running the national these are the heads of the national agencies here in italy that are saying this not the beat cops not the guy that just retired the head of the agencies the uh Agency went on, the uh, anti-mafia agency went on to say, quote, it'd be a revival of the Italian justice system legalizing cannabis, end quote. And there's three important facts that support it. Number one, international and national criminal organizations have a monopoly on the Italian cannabis market. Afghanistan is the second largest producer of cannabis bound for Italy with proceeds financing terrorist groups like the Islamic State. And Italian law enforcement, although successful in curbing the trade of hard drugs, hasn't managed to influence cannabis demand. Their efforts are widely considered a waste of money and resources. Hmm. Amazing. Now, the anti-mafia agency isn't going all in on this. They still remain opposed to personal cannabis cultivation. If they had their way, it would be one of those dispensary only type situations where, you know, you got the government growers and you can only buy it at the state store, but you can't cultivate it yourself. Uh, their worry is that with, you know, the personal cultivation, with uh, collective cultivation, the mafia could use that as a cover and just, you know, use uh, continue to infiltrate the market. The uh, Italian experiment here is, like I said, they're going to be. Uh, debating this as it comes through uh, the Italian Parliament this month. We'll keep an eye on it here at Cannabis Radio and let you know, but uh, it'd be nice to see uh, some uh, European countries come around to legalization. They they tiptoe around it, you know, the Netherlands has their legal retail sales and legal personal consumption and possession, but the cannabis has to magically appear from somewhere. It's kind of the the production of it and the trafficking of it is still illegal in the Netherlands. Now, Spain has their uh, cannabis uh, collectives. There's you can join, you can become a member of. So, but that's still kind of legal gray area there as well. But it's changing. Uh, there's a bill in parliament in Germany uh, for legalization. Uh, it's stalled at the moment, though. But they they'll come around. I'm telling you, after this marijuana election night after California especially, when that comes around, once that happens, you're going to see such a massive shift in public policy positions at the international level. Just going to be amazing. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. Now, uh, in other international news, uh, we take you down to Australia, where the Australian Broadcasting Corporation reports on a naturopath in Canberra, australia who was uh, giving cannabis oil to his daughter and to other patients uh terminally ill clients uh and was uh found manufacturing cannabis oil and tinctures and giving them to his patients and he knew it was illegal of course uh in that australian state to uh, be doing that but the uh uh this naturopath was just given a 12 month suspended sentence could have been jailed, could have been in prison. Uh, but just given a 12 month suspended sentence and 18 month good behavior order, like a probation kind of thing. Uh, and, um, the justice said, uh, he accepted that the, the naturopath wasn't trying to be a drug dealer, trying to make any financial gain, but still says that it was a, a reckless decision to help his teenage daughter with her uh, anxiety and sleep disorders with cannabis oil. Uh, the justice said, quote, I accept that you believed legalization of medicinal cannabis was imminent and you thought it would allow you to get in on the ground floor. The supply was to a child and involved a significant breach of your obligations as a parent. This is an unusual case. Uh, in truth, your admission of cannabis to your doc- daughter can only be described as reckless. This is an unusual case, but it is still an example of significant criminal offending. End quote. It's going to take a long time before we have judges across this country and around the world that will fully understand what's going on here. In these kind of cases, these medical cases, especially with children, it's going to take a while. And whether or not this guy thought medical cannabis was going to be legalized in Australia soon. To me, it doesn't matter. It What matters to me is that a naturopath, a person with some understanding of health care, found someone to be suffering and tried to come up with a way to help. Using a plant a non-toxic plant with low side effects. It's going to be remarkable when I'm in my 80s or 90s to get to talk to people and try to explain to them exactly what this prohibition was like back in the day. Yes, we, we actually went out of our way, spent lots of money and ruined countless lives to try to stop that plant. All right, be right back to wrap things up after this. This is the Russ
1: Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
5: Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network.
0: (sighs) Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com.
3: Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Normal. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact normal at n-o-r-m-l dot or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL.
1: You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com. You're
0: going to find really wonderful, well meaning, well spoken people, and then people that are just batshit
4: crazy. Okay. Maybe you're high too. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer. Or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Pod
1: 2.0 Not your father's Woodstock weed. (laughs) This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
4: Welcome back, everybody. Just uh, closing up shop here at CannabisRadio.com because, well, I'm it. I'm your live guy in the afternoon, and this is the end of the hour. But uh, before we go, just a reminder, tomorrow, 60 days left before legalization happens. We'll have more great guests on the show, starting at 3 p.m. Civic, And uh, coming up in the next 60 days, we're going to be speaking with all of the campaign directors from all of the different initiatives around the country, plus people that are running for office that are one of us. If you know of any local initiatives, local candidates, anything that we ought to be adding to our marijuana election night coverage, Please let me know. RadicalRuss at gmail.com. I've got all the state-level stuff, and I've got most of Oregon's local stuff. But I understand now I saw something in the OC register, uh, a whole bunch of local stuff in California, tax stuff, bans, all of that. So we're going to have to get a rundown on that. We'll uh, probably have some local votes in Colorado and Washington to take a look at as well. Maybe even Alaska has some boroughs or townships that are voting on bans. If you know of any of this stuff, please send it our way. We want to make sure that we are the destination for all your marijuana election night coverage. If they're voting on weed, we're covering it. And that sound means it's all the time I got for today. Time flies when you legalize. Thanks for joining us here on CannabisRadio.com. And make sure you check out my writing at HighTimes.com on Tuesdays and Fridays. And nearly daily on WeedNews.co. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ from beautiful legal potland, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take
6: a scene, you plant it, you grow it,
0: you dry it, you roll it, you it. You take a scene,
6: you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down.